Hello, welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. And as you saw from the title of this episode, MCU 2023 Part 2, we are talking about more things from the MCU from this past year. Or, well, I guess last year. And actually, that's also wrong when I say things. We are talking about thing, singular, one thing. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Because that is the movie premiere of Adam Warlock. And by we, I mean, of course, John Wilson. Because, well, he's been here for all the other ones. Why not have him on this one? I mean, that would just be damn rude. It's kind of hey, like John. inertia. You know, I, I, I've been here. So, like, the ball's already rolling. And, you know, exactly. if, if you want to... With, you know how these things are with podcasts. If you want to change co-hosts midway through a series, you have to write all the letters. You have to call the different producers and managers and stuff. And so, at this point, I feel like I'm just, like, the easy pick because, you know, it's, it's well, less yeah. work. Yeah, at this point, I just go, John, Grind's episode. Oh, okay, yeah. Right. Actually, it's more like snap your fingers and say Adam Warlock. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, it was really it was really nice to find that app on my phone that can make the snapping sound on yours. Right. It's like a whistle. So anyways, yes, I am here. I am excited to talk about Adam Warlock because um, we didn't get to talk about this movie when it came out. So I'm ready to talk about it now. And yeah. Um, I have painted my skin gold for the occasion. I know we're not doing a video podcast, but I am sitting here naked in gold paint just for the occasion. So, yeah, he did visions. half blue, he did half that, half green. I'm not sure if he wants to be Gamora or Drax. <laughs> I guess it depends on the day. Yep. Um, depends if you feel like stabbing or, well, stabbing, since I guess they both have knives, so. Yeah, I guess it really doesn't matter. <laughs> well, you have Stabby Dad and Stabby Mom. There you go. Stabby Dad, it's Stabby Dad. But yeah, I'm excited. Uh, this was something that you and I have been looking forward to for a very long time. Even since we've been doing these retrospectives, we have speculated about when and where they might eventually show up with uh, Adam Warlock. And here we are. And even before that, because, I mean, I believe 2 came out. When did 2 come out? 2017. Mm-hmm. So well, we've, we've been six years to wait for it. We've been speculating on him ever since Thor The Dark World. Remember that? Thor True. The Dark World ended with the trip to the Collectors in the uh, nowhere. And um, there was cocoon. the cocoon thing that looked a whole lot like Adam Warlock's cocoon. But was literally just an Easter egg. Right. Now, I have been reading um, a new history book that just came out recently um, on the history of the MCU. And it has been kind of eye-opening on how much some of these story choices are made in the moment and often accidentally because just stuff happens, and so they make a change, or it doesn't work out the way they planned it. So I believe it is entirely possible that, that was put there intentionally, and just whatever they wanted to do with it when they did that ended up getting changed midstream. Because um, yeah, that evidently is a last. very common thing with the developments of the MCU, much more so than I think um, nerdy fanboys want it to be. Because when our stories happen a certain way, we figure that's the way it was planned. Nope. Yep. 
But I mean, it's a little easier when they do that with comics because it's a lot easier for the writing and drawing. You really just have to do that. Mm-hmm. Even if you change creators, you can still, if the editor was involved with that story planning, the editor can still bring that up and you know have them do that. But stuff still changes there. And obviously with movies, you have a lot more working parts to make a movie. Yep. You know, a much larger and more expensive pipeline. Yeah, exactly. If you, I mean, one thing, if you can't work, you don't think you can work out the uh, technical stuff of the effects that might, that's one thing to take in. If you also can't find somebody you think you was, you want to have playing the part, that's another reason to go, well, maybe we shouldn't do it. if We don't have the right people cast. And then, of course, there's everyone else involved and all the other stories you have to tell in these movies. And it's like, are we telling too many stories at once? Do we want to, you know, we have two hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do we have time to do all this? But yeah, I highly recommend the book for anyone out there who uh, likes, you know, to know the story behind the story kind of thing. Um, If you search MCU book, I'm sure it will come up. Uh, I'm just doing that right now so I can give the information. Yeah, MCU in the uh, the reign of oh, it's cut off. The reign of Marvel Studios by Joanna Robinson. But if you just search MCU book, it it shows the cover looks like the Hollywood mountain with the Hollywood sign. It's just the three letters MCU. Oh, nice. Well, you and gave me the name of the title. It's on Audible. All right. Well, you gave me the name and the, the author. So if I'm able to find it, people, there will be a link in the show notes. All right. Highly recommended. They were the heroes from the future. Teenagers protecting the universe from those that would sow the seeds of chaos. Each had unique powers and abilities. And though they often had their differences, they came together to save the day as the Legion of Superheroes. Now, you can be a part of their adventures and learn the history of the future in the Legion Clubhouse. The adventure begins soon. Since we already started talking about Adam and he's our focus, let's talk about him first. So Adam Warlock really isn't in the movie, I would say. Not as such. No, I mean, of course he's there. Yeah, but it's not the Adam Warlock you recognize from the recent Guardian, you know, well, when I say recent, the last 10, 15 years of Guardians books or anything Starlin did with him in the graphic novels or even Infinity uh, Trilogy or even in the 70s. Or even what Roy Thomas did. The the gravitas of Adam Warlock, the... um, the tragedy, the nobility, if you will, all of that stuff that's been done with him is pretty absent. This is uh, not Stanley necessarily Jack a bad Kirby. thing. Yes, yeah, this, this is, is much Jack more. Mm-hmm. This is him. This is him. Which, he has been in the show. Which is, fi- as far as I'm concerned, is fine because that means it gives him somewhere to go as opposed to doing his full story already. Right. And we have no idea if or when they're going to do an Adam Warlock devoted story that just maybe something they don't want to go into in the course of their overall MCU storytelling. But I think I appreciate that they didn't try to encamp encapsulate a space Jesus arc in one plot thread of one movie. No, agreed. 
And I'm fine with that because it also, like I said, it leaves him room to have him grow. Because he did grow. He is becoming Adam Warlock big by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. By the ending scene by joining the Guardians. He's becoming more Adam Warlock than he was in the movie. And if they don't do a Guardians movie again, they could all, I mean, we already have Pip. If they're All they have to get for, really, if they want to do, like, 70s-type Adam Warlock stuff, like Magus, let's say, is just get Gamora back. Mm-hmm. Which they can do. She's around. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's only one actor, you know, one actor that they have to have back. They don't need to have the whole crew. And to see Gamora being used separate from the will they, won't they, Peter Quill storyline, I think would be kind of refreshing. I mean, like most of our love stories, it's, it's, you know, I kind of missed that they weren't together, but also that's not Gamora's thing. Gamora's thing is not being lovesick for some dude. That is not her story. So well, if they well, were let's to talk about that real quick, they I I liked how they did that here. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the they did they the love story. I mean, there is a it's an ending of a love story, and it's a moving on. But it's not about getting back together or even starting a new one, which they do right. play. You know, they hint a little bit here and there that Nebula has feelings for him. Right, or that yeah. Yeah, she has feelings for him is really the, the main the main hint. Yeah. But we but, but like that's not her story either. Like we don't need that as a plot element. And so to have a a story that lets Gamora shine that completely ignores the concept of will she sleep with someone, I would find refreshing. I think that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Plus I would like to see, you know, we got a brief showing of Pip at the end of Eternals. Mhm. <laughs> I would not mind seeing Pip be get to be Pip in a whole movie with Adam and Gamora. Mm-hmm. That would be fun. That, that would, would be, be great. Amusing. And I would like to kind of see the sort of um not quite himbo kind of him that they have in this for Adam Warlock gain some 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 pathos and gain some nuance and gain some depth in a movie. So yes, I would definitely like to see this develop. It's a good starting point. If they don't do anything else with them, you know what? That's just not the story they're going to do. But there are definitely places they can go. They made a story choice here that gives us lots of possibilities for the future. Exactly. I mean, obviously, yes, my preference of Adam Warlock is not the him version. Right. But it's a start. It's a good starting point. And his origins with the Sovereign, um, they didn't. They only really hinted at the fact that he was created by the Sovereign um, and that he was supposed to be this, you know, idealized thing. They didn't go into any detail on it. I don't know that we necessarily even need any detail on it, but they could um, explore that a little bit more if they wanted to, uh, if it became plot relevant. The Sovereign, I read, was wholly created for the MCU. There's no counterpart in the comics. But there's enough of a connection to the Enclave in the fact that he was you know, created by the Enclave to be the perfect man. And mm-hmm. the Sovereign were created to be perfect. And right. he was supposed to be their perfect version of them. So you have the concepts there being told in a different context and different way, which is um, what the MCU yeah. tends to do a lot of. Yeah, and they don't have to go further if they don't want to, because I mean, it's not like we go back to the... It's not like every Adam Warlock story is all about the Enclave. No. You know, he barely gives them a he has not given them a thought really his reinventions tend to move forward not look back exactly 
obviously, if we're talking about like adapting type works, like they can't really do the Counter Earth story because they did Counter Earth. Yeah, and obviously the Thanos stuff. But I mean, it's not. I don't. I don't know if we would get like a trilogy again with him. We might get. You know, I'm hope at best. I would hope we would get a movie. So we could do. They could do the Magus. Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah. With um, with Adam already shown to be such a potentially destructive force. Uh, finding out that there's another of him out there, no pun intended, that is much more deliberately and maliciously fulfilling that destructive potential. There could be some interesting stuff with that. Yeah, maybe taking after the High Evolutionary. I'm, I'm thinking just of what of the the line he had in the movie. I was just since I was just rewatching it, where he yells, he's screaming at his second in command. There is no God. That's why I stepped in. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of what the Magus is, basically. In a different way. I'm God. Yeah. Yeah. Not not in a eugenics way, but similar. So, I mean, I could see that. So, I could see that could be interesting. And that's, I would hope, I wouldn't mind that. I would like something like that. That'd be fun. So, we have somewhere to go. So, that's fine. You know, I'm fine with Adam being the way he was this movie because it was very much like him. You know, uh, oh, Sif is pretty. Give me that. Yeah. That's what we had. That's what he was like originally. Mm hmm. Yeah, I will say that whenever I was watching it in the actual moment of seeing him show up um, and he's just this like, you know, living missile of blowing stuff up. I was a little bit dismayed at first because I realized that we weren't going to be getting Adam Warlock so much as we're going to be getting him. And so I wasn't, you know, in the moment, super pleased, but that's just then you watch the movie and find out what that particular movie is going to be about. And that particular movie was about rocket raccoon. And they were, it's more like they were using Adam Warlock's story elements as a context for that story. And so in with that being the case, I came out appreciating it more by the end of the movie than necessarily was as it was unfolding, you know? Yeah. And I mean, there's some hints of it even throughout the movie. I mean, that's why he adopts the little, his little pet. You know, you know, he's not just the missile that they want him to be. Right. Which might be the things they're saying, what they say about him being wrong. You know, he was not fully indoctrinated by them, just like he was not fully indoctrinated by the Enclave. Right. Which is why he was wrong to them. As far as the, the, the introduction of Adam Warlock goes... Um, I thought it was definitely a good start. Yes. But so we talked about the fact that this is Rocket's story. Mm. So Rocket. Man. Oh, Man. You know, whenever they first introduced Rocket Raccoon in the first Guardians film. And you saw the the um, the metal implants and scarring and everything on his back in that one scene yeah and your brain changing yeah you get pathos and you get questions both at the same time like oh my god what happened to him poor guy that must be kind of why he's like this i was not ever expecting to get this kind of treatment of that story but this was this was hard to watch. And the first time I watched it, I, I don't know, four, five, six times, I at least welled up, sometimes full on ugly cried. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, uh, the, the the breakout scene. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Rockety floor, go now. Rockety floor, go now. It's like, oh, God. Right. Oh. She's just she's just spastically wanting them to get out of there, and they need to get out of there, and they don't get out of there. It's worth noting, for those who don't know, that a lot of those characters and concepts are modifications of elements from the Rocket Raccoon miniseries in the 80s. Yes. Yep, yeah, um, I read that not so long ago. I don't remember Floor, but I do know Teeth and Ly- Lila were there. Yeah, Lila's a big deal. I did not remember Teeth's, but I remember Lila being there. Yeah. No, I remember Teeth. He had, like, cybernetic things in the, to attach to his, his tusks. You know what, as you're saying that, I think the visuals of the art are popping into my brain. Yeah. Yeah. I think I read that because it was reprinted as a backup in the Transformers. Oh, uh-huh, okay. Because yeah, in, in the UK Transformers series, um, it's weekly. And so in addition to reprinting a portion of the US Transformers issues, they're always reprinting something else. And um, in my head, that uh, the Rocket Raccoon stuff is wrapped up with Transformers. So I think they might have been ripping that for a while. Yeah. And from what I remember, the Rocket story then was a, not as light as, let's say, like what you would think a funny animal story is. But not it as It starts serious. out feeling that way. Yeah. Yeah, it starts out feeling that way. But then it kind of does some crazy um, Starlin-esque twists and turns with like the the insane asylum on the planet and everything else um but it wasn't as dark as this movie got (laughs) no no um not nearly as as many tragic things or at least not told in such an empathetic way there are some really weird tragic background elements but not as hard to read as this was hard to watch yeah yeah i mean and they did it, you know what, the way this movie was done, I remember when I first saw it in the theater, it was, because it is a cut pretty, I mean, at time it is pretty dark. I really did not, and so for anyone, just in case I forgot to say this before, which I think I did, full spoilers in case you have not seen these yet, because we were going to spoil the hell out of things. Well, that's what we've been doing for this whole series anyway, yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, I really thought more of our main cast was going to die. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, none of the main cast died. Right. But the they leave you thinking that they will a few times, especially Rocket. Yeah. But the the main part of that part, the death that comes is Rocket's friends that's in his origin. Mm-hmm. He's the only one that escapes being experimented on by the high evolutionary. The others are killed. Right. Yep. That is. That is what makes the, him who he is. The scene where he is dying and he sees um, Lila again mm-hmm. is the first time where they explicitly show the romantic feeling between the two. And I thought that choice worked so well because, you know, having them be obviously close and obviously affectionate while they're in cages translated to, yes, there's actual romantic um connection between them in um their adult yeah spirit because, versions because that too was in the in the, the comic in the original comic that was his girlfriend right right although she ends up marrying somebody else but you know well he leaves yeah anyway. he does he does 
So, but yeah, so there was that. Yeah, no, that was a rough thing to do, do, watch. But I mean, it makes sense because I mean, the High Evolutionary. I mean, going back to what we did back when we covered the original Warlock run. I, I mean, this is this I thought was a good representation of the High Evolutionary because I mean, yeah, this, this is a guy who likes to create things and then up. Oh, this is not as perfect as I want to be. Destroy it. Right. I mean, that Warlock run, he wanted to destroy Counter Earth constantly. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not just an experimental planet. That's a planet full of living Actual creatures. People. Yeah. Not just, and people, animals, everything. He just wants to kill it all. And I feel like it was doing a um, the same kind of commentary on the biblical narrative that exists in the comics existed here. You know, the the, the concept of a god who makes life makes mankind and uh they fucked it up so we're just gonna wipe it all out and start over which is you know as a cynical view of how the early portions of the old testament narrative go that was in the script for this as much it was as much as it was in the comics yes it's kind of a bold choice for the mc i thought yeah yeah made of very hateful i mean Easy to hate villain. <laughs> hmm As your god character. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like they said, yeah, like they even say in the movie, certain sectors of the universe consider him god. Yeah, I mean, he did not. Now, granted, he did not have the uh, kettlehead helmet. Mm-hmm. No lunchbox handle. Yeah. So, slightly disappointed on that part. <laughs> it's like but he didn't have level. a face stretched over a robot face. So, you know, there's that. Oh. Yeah, yeah. When you see the flashbacks, and I like how... It's just saw enough to realize that his face is different in the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. And they don't show his face after Rocket attacks him during the escape scene. Right. But yeah, again, a Rocket, I mean, I times I wondered if Rocket was going to die throughout that. We were only going to get really Rocket in the opening and as young Rocket. You know, we were not going to get him back. But no, we did. Even though it's even though this movie isn't ending for many of the characters. But, you know, it's funny. It's as dark as this got. The ending for the characters is a little more positive than it was for many of the other ones in the MCU. I mean, yeah, Cap is gets his happy ending, but he's, you know, he's gone forever. Iron Man's mm-hmm. dead. Black Widow is dead. And while most of the Guardians are gone by the end of the movie, it's because they've grown and evolved and moved to a better place in their lives. Now... They have moved on from most of the characters. Like, pretty sure Mantis is not going to be used anymore. Um, Drax seems like he's not going to be used anymore. They left those characters in a good place. In fact, Bautista has said flat out that he's done with Drax. Yes. Yes. Which is one of the things that made me wonder if they were going to kill him. Because I knew he was... I remember him saying that before the movie came out. mm -hmm. They do leave the team in a place that can continue with new members. And while we were watching the end of the movie, uh, Mindy had an article up that I'm not sure if the article was saying this has definitely been said to be happening or if the writer was just surmising of what was likely to be happening, but a new team continuing on with the characters in that last scene. I remember seeing something that James Gunn said he'd hoped that someone, you know, said some, you know, he left it so somebody could continue. Right, because he also is done. This was yes. James Gunn's swan song to the MCU. He is now the head of DC, 
entertainment and he's got he's cooking superman legacy and, and lots of other stuff so yeah he uh this is he came to marvel to do these uh characters or to do this series of films and now he is done yeah yeah their story which is fine he did mm-hmm. the story he wanted to you know he told their story I mean, it can get a little confusing if you no, if you have no interest in watching other movies because there is kind of a jump between two and three. Right, you get that little scene in um, Thor: Love and Thunder. Well, yeah, but I'm thinking more of Endgame and Infinity War because that's the whole Gamora dies and comes back. Now, just but, just to, uh, to to be complete, said that James Gunn came to do these stories. Uh, James Gunn picked up the first Guardians of the Galaxy after it had already been written by Nicole Perlman, and he took her story elements and reworked them into a new structure. So it's not just James Gunn doing Guardians of the Galaxy, but he oh, did no. he did take a ship that somebody made and steered it his own way. So it's it became very much his thing, but he is not the sole creator. Don't want to leave oh, Nicole out. No, no. and uh, he's not the sole writer on these things, but I mean, he is one of the writers and the director. So it does. Uh, so right. there is a lot of it. A lot of it the, is the, his, obviously. The finished project is very much his. His creative. His creative juices are all over it. Oh, never mind. I was looking real quick for the first Guardians movie here. It says written by, and it lists ten others, at least on IMDb. But that's just him and Nicole Perlman. Everyone else for written by is basically writers who worked on the comics that they're based on. Oh, yeah. So Dan Abbott, Annie Lanning, Bill Mantlo, Keith Giffen, Jim Starlin, Inglehart, Steve Gerber. And it's cool that they get credits, even though they don't get any money. Yeah. Yeah, and that's supposed to be because they created those versions or, you know, created characters. Right. So Star-Lord finally gets to sort of, you know, come full circle with his origin story and go home and revisit his grandfather and that seems to be a nice bit of normal in his life at the end. He seems to be happy to just be settling in and eating breakfast on porches kinds of things. Yes. Um, they did say he's going to, I mean, I guess they have plans for him because it did say in the movie Star-Lord will return. Right. So that makes me wonder if that's going to be an Earth-based thing or an outer space again thing. Well, so much of what they've announced for phases five and six do entail outer space. So I'd expect that context. But I haven't heard anything yet about him specifically, so I have no idea. Yeah, but it would be nice to see him. some cameos, at least, of or, you know, the characters at least have an idea of like, you know, if he's out in space, he can at least know and we can get like a verbal thing of like, oh, this is happening and this is happening with like Drax or Nebula. Mm hmm. But yeah, this movie was very much about these characters changing and getting to better places with themselves by the end of this. I think possibly more so than much of the rest of the MCU. Yes. You know, and Iron, Man, Iron Man goes through a little bit of character discovery, but in a lot of ways, he's the same guy at the end. Of he, at the end of the series, he's the same guy as he is at the end of the first film. He finds yeah. his heart and soul in that first film. And it's just a matter of, you know, exploring that more as he goes on. Captain America is still Captain America. It's just he gets to go home. Um, but these characters really do find new things about themselves and change over the course of the series. And it's also, I was realizing it's also a movie about fine about 
I mean, yes, there is plenty of the, we are going to kill these guys. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, I started the movie a little late before our recording, so I get a chance to finish it. I got to the part in the No Sleep from uh, BC Boys, No Sleep Till Brooklyn is playing, where they're killing a whole bunch of people in a hallway. Mm-hmm. But it's not always about just killing people. I mean, because right before that is the scene with Nebula and Drax and Mantis where they're trapped with those giant octopus-type beasts, the one that mm-hmm. they fought in the beginning of the first movie. And they're ready to start to try and fight or run. And Mantis is like, no, they eat batteries, not people. Maybe they're just scared of us. And right. basically is like pets them. It's like, it's okay. And talks to them gently. I mean, it's not even really using her powers so much. I mean, she is a little bit, I believe, but her walking to them is not her powers. Cause I mean, her telepathic powers really only work when she's touching. Right. So it's just her being calm and like, we're not going to hurt you. It's okay. And treating the pu- treating like puppies. Yeah. And I mean, it was like, that was nice. Like they didn't have to just kill. It's like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. There are some people that need to be killed. Some things that need to be killed and we're going to do that if necessary. But it's like, that's not going to be plan a yeah i've never really seen this as a series of people who are just out there killing folk you know kind of like um in firefly you know they they do what needs to be done and if folks need killing folks need killing but that's not what they set out to do and in fact they say very often no we're not we're not killing people Drax. that's not that's not the thing um, one guy one guy that no one loves now you're making it sad yeah, so it's a it's a different. Um... But yeah, it's about trying different ways. I mean, even when Gamora, when they're on that Ogilcorp, uh ship, the one the sea, the whole scene where they're trying to get the passcode for a rocket, and where they're like going like, through a giant large intestine. Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, which was gross. That whole yeah ripping that thing apart is like ooh, that's icky. <laughs> yep. But and yeah, then... like Pizza's like, look, no, we can just con them let's just talk to them let's con them or find some way like that let's not just start shooting everybody we don't have to mm-hmm. and i like that i like that it's not just about we're gonna punch things because we can punch things which maybe is why and i'm not saying the other ones do that it's only but growth is a good thing it might be why this is this is and i'll be open here about my, any bias i have here this is my favorite uh series in the mcu the guardians movies. right these are my favorite ones, and I do love this movie. So mm-hmm. yes, if you're hope if you were hoping for me ripping this movie apart to shreds because I hate it, no, sorry, I don't. Yeah, the second one, even with its weaknesses, has a lot of really good stuff going on with it, and I really like it. Even though I do get kind of bored towards the end of it, um, but this was this was wall to wall. It's either it's either. Uh, fun visual action or interesting character development or tear your eyes out because rocket is sad every moment yeah. of the movie is one of those things yeah because this is about the character development because i mean like nebula's development by this movie i mean yes she is an angry person that has not changed mm-hmm. Nebula's an angry person and if you provoke her in that way she will get violent towards you right but she's also like one of the ones first saying we are not killing everybody. And when they're on that, sh- the, 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 uh, revolutionary ship, which I do wish they had called it Wondagore. That would have been cool. I mean, <laughs> it's not a big thing, but I mean, it was the giant mountain that took off into be in the space as a, as a spaceship. So that would, you know, a, that would have been a cool acknowledgement. Yes. Yeah. That would have been nice. But I mean, she is the one of the first ones to tell Pete 
no, there are all these prisoners and experiments on here. We can't just leave them to die. I feel like we've seen Wendigore mentioned. Was it in Scarlet? Uh, was it in the Multiverse of Madness when Scarlet Witch went off I and have, did stuff? I do not recall at all. I mean, that could be it. Maybe it might have been Multiverse of Madness, maybe. Yeah, I feel like we see multi, uh, uh, Wendigore mentioned, but that would have been a cool use of the concept is to just like to make it the high evolutionary ship. Because, I mean, he did go to Earth, he says. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why he called it Counter-Earth. And that's why also he did obviously collect creatures from Earth because we get confirmation that Rocket is a raccoon. He is not an alien creature that happens to look like a raccoon. Despite his own memories of being such. Yeah. He is a raccoon. He will deny it. Well, until the end. I I guess he didn't realize. I mean, I guess by the time he had the ability to... Because, I mean, he finds out he's a raccoon when he rescues the little raccoons from their little cage. Mm -hmm. And it says raccoon. But, I mean, once he gets the ability... He's experimented on enough that he has the ability to read and understand. He's in the cage with the other four. It doesn't say raccoon on there. It would just probably say their numbers. Right. So even if he were with more of his own kind in that they're not called raccoons in his childhood. Yeah. So I took it as he just didn't know he was a raccoon. He thought, I mean, remember, he knows he's from space. He has no idea. He didn't know that the high evolutionary went to Earth or got this thing from Earth. So he's like. He's talking about stuff from his planet. I've never been there. No, I'm not. I'm not whatever he's calling me. I'm not a raccoon or a trash panda or whatever he calls it. Do you like the Transformers? Yes. Do you like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Do you like IDW comics and comic book podcasts? Then come check out Ninjas and Bots. Each week we look at an issue of Transformers or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from their IDW Comics incarnation. We drop episodes every Saturday morning. Just like the cartoons we loved as a kid. The show can be found on your favorite podcatcher and at johnreadscomics.com. See you then. So yeah, what else you got on this? Oh, real quick, by the way, I just looked up real quick. So yes, it is Multiverse of Madness. Okay. Matt Wundergore said there specifically the source of the Darkhold's power. So, yes, that's where it was. Gotcha. Uh, let's see. What else can we talk about? This? What else is there to say about the movie? I mean, we talked about some of the characters in the ending. We talked um, about I Adam, really, I, the High I like the, uh, the Drax stuff. This was, um, you know, Drax has Drax's personality, which is always played for laughs. But if you were there actually trying to work with him, it would be very frustrating. And so Nebula voices that side of things through the course of this film. But then, you know, she she sees another side of him in the course of the story. And she realizes that, okay, um, he may be an idiot, but he would make a really good dad kind of figure for the kids. Yeah. You know, he his kind of idiocy leans itself towards dad mode, which, you know, may say something about dad mode, but. (laughs) (laughs) 
But yeah, uh, I do I like that part. It. You were meant to be a father. Mm-hmm. That just the the universe conspired to make him a destroyer because of taking away his ability to be a father. Which is in the comics his thing, you know, that he was a father who lost his lost his, his child, his daughter through the course of his origin story. So letting that come out that way here was a nice nod to that aspect of his, his character that has never been mentioned on screen because it's not important to the stories they're, they're telling. But if you know, you know, yes. So were there any of the characters, like was it Drax or rocket, like which one, or even just the ideas or themes, like what really resonated with you in the movie? Like what really sticks with you afterwards the most? Um, most of the stuff that we've been talking about, because those are things that are popping out in my head. Uh, of course, the rocket raccoon is is the main focus, um, and having Gamora exist once again, being more like the most dangerous woman alive, and less like the girl that Peter has a crush on. Mm. You know, which so much, so much of the first two films was just Gamora is the girl that Peter has a crush on. And that's not who she was in the comics. So I came out of Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, the original, disappointed in how they used Gamora. Because I feel like they weren't using Gamora. You know, they were using something with the same name and characteristics as Gamora, but doing something else with her. So having her get to be more of herself in this was really good. Um, I really like Mantis. Uh we rewatched the holiday special before going into this. So seeing her with um, Drax and the whole Kevin Bacon thing and uh, being sad and scared for Peter to find out that they're siblings because he hates his dad, you know, all that stuff. She's just such a sweet heart, you know, and to have her find a place to be. That's not with this team of destruction uh, was good. Yeah, giving her, she's now looking for what she wants, mm-hmm. not just doing what other people need, but for herself. Finding her own identity is a good thing for her, yeah. Yeah. Which, so. I don't remember exactly the details of the end of the Celestial Madonna story, but I believe that going off to find herself was kind of an element at the end of that. Uh, she does go off into space kind of abruptly um, yeah. in the Avengers comics, but I can't remember exactly the reasoning behind it. And yeah, I think that I writer uses a very similar character in other books. Oh, yeah. Well, he brings her back a couple times, too. Mm-hmm. When he comes back to West Coast Avengers or when he's writing Silver Surfer, he brings her back in both those books. So he has a thing for that character, which well, is not uncommon for writers. Well, definitely, considering the fact that he created when he in at least one issue of Justice League when he's writing it, there's a character that's very much like Mantis called Willow. Yeah, so I say, yeah, he uses a character in other books, another another you know, a character analog, kind of like how Peter David did the Supergirl series and then went off and continued the character concepts in a non-Supergirl book. Fallen Angel, yeah, yeah, the which I'm excited because my super my Superman read through, I've been picking up the pace on it, and I'm going to be getting into that '90s stuff this year if everything goes well. So, oh, cool. uh, I've never never read a single issue of that Supergirl series, and I'll be reading it all of it. You know, oh, I've, in the I've, next I've, months. I bought that as it came out for the full run. Mm. I but, am yeah. excited. Good. But yeah, for me, the stuff I really liked was, the, I mean, there was the, the themes. There was the cruelty from the high evolutionary. Like just seeing how cruel he was. Not that I liked it, but like, you know, stay with it, me. It worked well. 
Yeah. Just how cruel he was in these things. I mean, like, he, as you can see, like, when they're looking back at, like, Rocket's origin, there was no uh, anesthetic when they were experimenting on him. Right. They were just, you can hear him squealing, screaming as they cut into him. He's only as friendly and as uh, empathetic as he needs to be to cajole the animals. Like the whole not anesthetic thing. He does not even, he does not care. He pretends to care because that's what you do to get small creatures to, to, to do what you want them to do. Um, but he doesn't actually care. Oh yeah. No, like when he's hot, when Rocket's sitting on his lap and he's, you know, doing the equations for him and he's like being all like, almost like, Oh good. Very good. And then he's talking about like, we're changing things to be better. And he, like he's, his hands are around his Rocket's head. Like he's about to crush him. Mm-hmm. I'm like, and you could see like they, and they do it right. Like rock, little rocket is terrified there. He's like, Holy crap. He's going to kill me. Mm-hmm. And yet, and yet there is the twisted messed up idea that your parents are the only parents, you know? And so there's a certain amount of your childhood where if you're in a bad situation, you just think that's the way things are. Yeah, and which so is, that's that's yeah. kind of an unspoken vibe here. This is his dad. Mm-hmm. This is the only dad he knows. So this is how dads are. And this is why Rocket was the way he was when we first meet him. Mm-hmm. And except, you know, but that and also the, uh, the other thing that stuck with me was Nebula's transformation by the end of like, it's I mean, not not just of her becoming a good guy, which happened obviously between, you know, between Guardians 2, but also her five years on Earth. Mm-hmm. Obviously did that. Which, by the way, they really should have mentioned when in the scene when they take the car. And Peter's like, what, you want to drive? She just said, yeah, I lived on Earth for five years. I know how to drive. Right. That would have been fun. That would have been a great little pickup. Like, oh. Oh, crap. Never mind. Remember? I forgot about that. I was dead. Sorry. Forgot about yeah, that. There's the whole, there was a the whole blip thing that existed. Yeah. yeah. Reminding viewers of that is a good thing because we do tend to forget that there's this five year gap in people's history. Yeah. That she was an Avenger for five years mm-hmm. and living on earth. She probably knows how to drive. Although, probably. Maybe Although Spider-Man doesn't. Yeah. But he was also 15 and lives in New York city. Yeah. <laughs> Those are very good reasons to not drive. Well, also since he was 15, he's been swinging his webs around. So yeah. living in New York city and having other place, other ways to get things. If Tony Stark had invented rocket powered roller skates in his armor as a teenager, he probably never would have learned to drive either. Exactly. <laughs> he's like, what? I roller skate. But the thing I was gonna say about Nebula is, is her learning how to see things from not just her perspective, mm-hmm. but to see not just Drax's perspective, but that, other perspectives and other purposes are valid, not just hers. Right. It's like, yes, you her character is very much about her pain at the beginning. And it's not just life is not just about her pain. And like, you know, like Mantis yells at her, you know, all you care about is it, which it is funny, but it's still true. <laughs> all you care about is intelligence and competence. I don't think I care for this defense. <laughs> It's like, it's like he makes us laugh and he loves us. Yeah. Like, why can't that be enough for you? Now, granted, I will give Nebula's possible counter argument of that's great if we're at home. 
But when we're trying not to get killed, the competence intelligence might be more important. Right. But. But knowing, realizing that he has, realizing that he has different strengths means that he is not useless. He's just, you got to use him in a different way. Exactly. He was able to calm all those kids down and get them to listen. Mm hmm. Which that is a, that is a skill set. Working mm-hmm. with small children, definitely a skill set. And especially since they were trapped on a ship of like, you know, hundreds of them. Mm-hmm. Kind of easy to listen. And not freak out. So what do you think about the fact that this is one of the movies where the villain doesn't die? They don't kill him. They rescue him. That's fine. I, I hadn't even really given it a thought that much. Um there, there's a very different priority in your long form comic book storytelling versus your movie storytelling with, with, with comics, you have to preserve your IP and with movies, you want to end a story. So movies tend to destroy the threat a lot more commonly than comics do. Comics tend to do away with the threat in a way that it can be brought back again some other time. That's fine. I, I don't need them to be killing their bad guys all the time. I just realized that that's probably what's going to happen. Yeah, because, I mean, that was just kind of the norm for these things, although that was before these long-term movies formed, where it was just, we have a movie. You know, we have a Batman movie. God, we're probably not going to have a second Batman movie. I'm sure this this movie coming out in 1989 is not going to be a worldwide phenomenon. <laughs> so, right. yeah, we're going to kill the Joker. I mean, even in the Christopher Reeve Supermans, they don't kill, no, they don't kill Lex Luthor. But, I mean... It's now there's I know there's debate about it or arguments about whether, you know, reasons for that. But I mean, if you don't know anything of that stuff, you're just watching Superman 2. It really does look like the Kryptonian criminals get killed. Right. And there's a version of the film where they much more obviously get killed. But I mean, here, you know, in a lot of the movies now, of course, they're doing that like Iron Man. And it makes sense. It definitely makes sense for them to do that in Iron Man, because as far as they knew, we're getting a movie. Probably mm-hmm. not going to do more. Yeah, we'll do a little interest hint, but it's, it's not, you know, at that point, they're like, yeah, 75% chance we're not doing anything else. Who knows how this is going to do? So that's why, you know, Iron Monger gets killed, you know, Stain. And also this movie, I think it was more not just learning the fact that this is a long term thing. We might be able to do something with this character again. This was also the Guardians. Like, look, we're not killing who we don't have to kill. Mm-hmm. You know, if your guys stand down, they don't have to die. You were beaten. We beat the hell out of you. We don't have to kill you. Right. Yeah. You keep acting like a jerk. You go back and do this again. You're probably going to get killed. You know, like, I don't know if like the high evolutionary runs up again. I don't know if they're, you know, the guardian team is going to be like, okay, we're, we're going to save your life again. It's like, no, no, you had your chance. We gave you a second chance. You blew it. You're done. Mm-hmm. But they save him just like Groot saves Adam. Which, obviously, it has it does actually affect Adam in the fact that he joins the team at the end. Right. And so let's speak about that team real quick. So we have a okay. new team at the end. So it's yeah, Rocket so we Groot. have Rocket and Groot. Uh, different looking Groot. I, I like how they, they've made Groot grow up to be a different kind of Groot than he was before. Yeah, because, I mean, it's the question is, is even, like, what memories does he have, if anything? Or is he literally the son of Groot? 
I feel like he is probably, as far as plants go, more likely to be considered an offspring than a reincarnation. Um, but they have not been definitive on it, so it's just let your own interpretation go. So I like that he is different. Yeah, I go with Son of Groot. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Rocket and Groot. Rocket is the leader, which mm-hmm. was a very touching scene where they all um, where they all acknowledge him because he didn't want to be on the team in the first place. Yes. And now he's the leader of the team. And we have Adam. With a little skull on his chest now. Yes. And also, by the way, the, Adam has a gem. I would love to see them explore in this new movie. What is that? Yes. Because it is, of course, one of the Infinity Stones in the comics. It's not that here, but it is something. Well, here's the question. Is it? We have no idea. I mean... You're, it doesn't have to be anything. It could be entirely a cosmetic visual design element that has absolutely no meaning to it. it, it exactly. Or it that could be, would be fine because we don't necessarily need that story. No, but it could it, it could be nothing. It could be the Infinity Gem, part of the Infinity Gem, or anything in between. We have no idea what it is. And they can go anywhere with that because they don't have to do anything now. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can explore something with the Infinity Gem now differently than just the Thanos story, because it's now not just the MacGuffin to keep away from him. It's They can explore something completely different with it. Right. But so it's them and Kraglin, who now knows how to use the arrow. And I just saw him in another movie. Um, was it a movie? No, he shows up in an episode of Superstore. Um, oh, okay. And I was like, oh. That's that's Sean Gunn. That's Craglin. We had just seen Guards of the Galaxy, and I was showing Mindy Superstore because she worked at Walmart for years when she was young, and she had never seen the show. It's a sitcom about a you know not Walmart kind of environment. Did he give her and, flashbacks? Because um, <laughs> I've worked at a Walmart too. Yeah, I had to had to cradle her crying. Uh, no, it was fine. It was funny. Uh, she just found a lot of it really relatable. But yeah, he shows up in an episode, and I was like, I know that guy. Uh, Craglin uh, is Sean Gunn, who is the brother of James Gunn. So he shows up with a lot of James Gunn's projects. He is cast for the new Superman movie. I don't remember as whom, but... I want to say I heard Max Lord, but I'm not sure if that's true or or or, uh, or if that was just speculation. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so Craglin's there, which is good, because he's, he's kind of the Yondu stand-in. Yes. Yes, because he now has that little fin on his head, and he, he learned how to use the arrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cosmo. Love Cosmo. I have not read a single comic with Cosmo in it, but I know the concept exists, and I love her in these uh, movies. Yeah, Cosmo's a good dog. Yes. Take back that I'm a bad dog. Nope. I-, I love the fact that, yeah, this is an intelligent dog, but it's still a dog. You call the you Still know, it's, a dog. It's most Its biggest concern is you called me a bad dog. I don't want to be a bad dog. Say, Don't say I'm a bad dog. Take that back. And like one of her first lines is really, I, I really want one of those yummy treats from your bag. Yeah. Because that's exactly what dogs want. They really want one of them yummy treats. Yeah. It's a bit, it's a bit of an extension of the dog from the movie up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very similar approach. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's a dog which, with telekinetic abilities. And um, I'm trying to remember if I'm forgetting anybody else besides, I was going to say, I know there's one more person that I'm going to say, but I'm trying to remember if there's anyone else besides Phyla. Um, I can't think of anyone. Drax isn't there. Yeah, so I guess that was it. So yeah, and yeah. Phyla. 
So let's talk about Phyla. Yes, because I've heard some criticisms about that. Really? Well, here's the thing. The criticism was, oh, sure, you're bringing a child in, so we're not going to have the Moon Dragon involvement. Okay, so tell like us saying, more about Phyla. Well, because, well, do you mean comic-wise or do you mean movie-wise? Yeah, yeah like, like, like what would be lacking that? I don't understand. Uh, from what I remember seeing, and it's been a while since I've read it. Like, it was, you know, I saw it in, online or something like that. Because in the comics, Philavel is the daughter of Marvel. Okay. And in the comics, Phyla ends up married. I believe they're married. Or, or at least they're in a relationship, serious relationship with Moondragon. Okay, and, so I, I like having a, a gay relationship in the film, in the comics that does not show up in the films. Exactly, because now it's a child. Mm-hmm. And yes... That, that is true. On the other hand, my thought was, yeah, but even if they're doing another Guardians movie, it hasn't been announced yet. So what, the earliest that could happen is 26, 27, you know, in the year. That's at least another four or five years away. This kid's going to be like, Ben, this kid's going to be now like 15, 16, if they cast the same person, you know, or they might just cast somebody who's like 18, 19 years old or 20. Right. And we have not even had a moon dragon yet. Yeah, there is no Moon Dragon. What's a Moon Dragon? Yeah, it, it, but if they wanted to include that, you're right. As an older teen, there is all the room you need to have a romantic interest. Yeah, so they could do that. Like I said, I saw some. I don't know how serious it was. I don't know. I don't remember if it was just one person bitching about it or not, or more. I don't know. You know what I mean? I wasn't. I just remember seeing that, and that was my thought was, we're not going to get a movie for like five years. Right. There's time for this person to get older if they even use the same actor. I mean, look at the Ant-Man movies. Don't we have like three different actors playing Cassie Lang? Uh, I thought it was just two. They had one for the first bit, and then they recast her for whenever they went to actually use her in Quantumania. Okay, I thought it was a different actor for Ant-Man as opposed to the second Ant-Man. Oh, no, no. That was the same little girl. Yeah. Okay. She's she's a cute little girl in the first movie. And then he reunites with the cute little girl in the second movie. But then whenever they go to actually use her in the third movie, she is a different actress. And you are right, because I'm seeing that. Yeah, I'm seeing them in Ant-Man and the Wasp, too, in Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, because you, you have that dad and his cute little girl connection as being basically her only story beat in the first two films. So they yeah. kept the, kept the uh, girl for that. But, yeah, there's no reason why they won't, might not recast this character as well. But also, I mean, Phyla Vell is a C-list, D-list character. I mean, she's not a main character. So the idea of what kind of expectations you're going to have with that character's story, I mean, chances are she's going to be a supporting cast for someone else's story. Yeah, true. I'm I'm just thinking of this because this is probably like the only, you know, LGBT, you know, part per character in the series so far. In the entire Marvel Universe or just in these Guardians? Guardians movies. Yeah, yeah, which is so, good and fine. So if they're going to use I can see a little concern about that. Right. I just think people jump the gun. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking it's like, no, there's t- – before we – you know, unless they use them in something else, if it's – you know, which they probably won't, it's going to – and if they do, it's, it's going to be the equivalent to like the Guardians appearance in Thor. Two minutes and that's it. You know, so yeah, if anything is going to happen with them again, if they do anything else guarding wise, it's going to be at least five years from now, you know, five years. Right. So if even if it's the same actor, they have time to get older. 
Let's, let's see. Can I figure out how? Where is this person? The actress looked what ten? Something like that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Lila, floor, war pig. But honestly, you know what? Even as a freaking ten-year-old, she can have a really close friend. Yeah. You know? The kind of relationship that, as they get older, could blossom into something more. Um, but that isn't. I mean, the the the. the I guess the main point is here. There's no reason to complain about a lock a, a lack of possibility because it's stories. You can tell stories so many ways, and there are an infinitude of ways of working that relationship in to either a minor or major degree that if you just sat and thought about it for two seconds, you wouldn't be worried anymore. Exactly. And that's my point. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I'm looking her up real quick. So it looks like she was born in 2012. Okay. So, so she was eleven. So she's eleven. Mm-hmm. So yeah, probably yeah, probably ten when they filmed, eleven when it was released, and when they yeah. get around to it, like you said, in twenty six or whatever. Yeah, if it's the same actress, the same actress, you know, the same actress, playing, then yeah, they'd be like fifteen, sixteen years old. Mm-hmm. They could do something if they want to. So, like you said, Phyla is a minor character. Mm-hmm. I like the character. I like her with Moon Dragon. They're fun, but they're. As of now, they have not been really a main character. Right. Even when they've been in the Guardians books recently, they're still like the, you know, the, the lesser important ones. Right. So they yep. can do stuff with it. There's plenty of room. But A, maybe that's just not the story they're going to tell. B, well, there's, there's the, we already said all the points. Yeah. And it all depends, of course, if there even is anything else Guardians. Yeah, because like you said, Gunn wrote it so that there could be, but we don't necessarily know that there will be. And also, the only thing we've been, we've been promised is that Peter Quill himself will return. That does not require that anyone else returns. Exactly. We might not get any more Guardians movies. We might not get an Adam Warlock thing. We might. Mm-hmm. This might be the end. Right. Anything else that happens in the future might have to stay in our imaginations. Which is fine. If, if that's what happens, I can deal with that. I mean, would I prefer more yes but i'll live if that's what it is because mm-hmm. at least it wasn't blocked off where those things can't happen the mcu whether they don't mcu ends or they just don't do any more guardian adam warlock stuff and we don't see or even hear about them ever again it was ended in a way that these things can are continuing adam mm-hmm. can still go off and have an adventure with Gamora and pip involving the magus and the Guardians can go on, and Phyla can, you know, Moon Dragon. Can, there could be a version of Moon Dragon that joins and eventually become becomes involved with Phyla. Sure, why not? Yep. Doesn't as of right now, nothing is stopping it. There's nothing in the way. All the possibilities are still possible, though. Now, I saw something online. I just want to get your idea real quick on this. Someone talking about this. Now, the way they worded it was a little weird, though. They said, imagine being a casual fan who loved Guardians and only watched the fir- those three movies and like had to t- figure out from three. My, my reason for the saying about the wording is, I could see a casual fan being confused, but I don't see anybody who loves Guardians not watching the two event- those two movies that they were in, The Avengers and Infinity War and Endgame. 
Yeah. What do you think on that? Like, I mean. Okay, so I am a nerd. You are a nerd. Yeah. We consume this media on that level. But at the end of the day, we are actually the minority of the theater goers. Most people going to see these films. And by most, I mean the fact that millions of people are watching these films. Millions of people, tens of millions possibly. Um, so there's not that many nerds. I mean, look at your high school class, look around what percentage of people are comics nerds. So exactly. most of the people watching this are not engaging with material on a nerd level. So they have to make stories that are accessible as stories. Um, the continuity, the, the, the character development, nuance, all the details of all of that stuff that they spend over time. That's good. And that's there. Most people either a don't know and don't care because it's not necessary to follow the story at hand or B have that friend with them who can tell them about all the details, you know? Yeah. And also the considering how well infinity war and Endgame did, Mm-hmm. Compared to the Guardians movies, I'm gonna go on a limb and say most people who did see the Guardians movies probably saw those two movies at least. Right. So you have the the likelihood that most people know have have seen all the pieces, even if maybe they forget because there's been time. Um, but also they do a good job of telling the stories where you get the information you need as you go. They said multiple times that the Gamora that they have is you know, missing the memories or whatever. Like they yeah. gave you the information you needed. Did yeah, you, she was gone. Were you reminded of everything about the blip and all the details and nuances of Thanos and everything else? No, but you didn't need that to understand the emotion of, I love this woman who no longer remembers me because of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And although it is an interesting thing to see, I mean, this is definitely an interesting experiment, this whole MCU, because not only is it a franchise consider consisting of many franchises, but especially mm -hmm. the Guardians one specifically, there are major events that happen for these characters that, like you said, yes, they do explain. But, I mean, there are major events happening for these characters in two other movies that are not called Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, mm -hmm. you could more or less watch the Iron Man movies. For the most part, I mean, well, maybe like I guess I guess Iron Man 3 does revolve around the fact of the trauma of having, having Avengers. No, it's, I guess it's not all. I guess it's not that. It's all of them. Iron Man three kind of revolves around Avengers. Uh, Captain America: Civil War does revolve around the other Avengers movies. Yeah, Avengers is especially the first one, and less so for Age of Ultron, but much more so for Infinity War and Endgame. The Avengers films are um, side trips for every single character's franchise. Every character who gets pulled into those films, their story is changed when they go back to their own. I, I guess maybe the only one you really could get away with not really needing to watch like those two Avengers movies would be the Ant-Man movies. Because, um, because the effects of uh, the effects of Avengers on his, his story is really, at least in those movies, doesn't seem from what I remember, it's kind of minimal. Just that his daughter gets older. Yeah. But that's also, you know, also go by it's been several years. Yeah. 
so yeah, so, it's 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 there. It exists. Um, the the this is a, a franchise of franchises. It's a new way of telling stories with films that literally has never been done before. Um, and I think that most people are able to function with it. They're able to accept it. They're able to go with it. Uh, ticket sales certainly would indicate so. Yeah, I think just- the. The problems we're facing with MCU storytelling have nothing to do with average moviegoers' ability to follow the story. Oh, no, I, I don't think so. It's much more with, um, are we still telling stories that average moviegoer wants to go see? Yeah, because no, getting I, people in seats is a problem now. Yes. But I think that's, I th- it was just just something that came up to me. It's like, that's, you know, thought of, I thought about it. It's true. It's like Guardians is the one that's, the most obvious where major things happen in between the two movies in another movie. But as we talked, we realized that though the other ones do have it to a lesser extent, but I mean like, you know, Iron it's a Tony really Stark's, big deal for, it's a huge deal for Spider-Man. Spider-Man is hugely affected by the blip and everything else. That's true. It's true. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, Spider-Man and guardians are probably the most, because I mean, Iron Man three though, I mean, they do give you some ideas about it, but I mean, that is where the whole reasoning of him having the post, you know, PTSD is, is because of mm-hmm. the effects of Avengers cap civil war it's mostly just the fact of who the hell are all these people thor a little lesser the beginning of love and thunder but really that's it but i mean it's the ant-man really that like if you skip the end you know that end credit sequence from ant-man and the wasp where hank janet and hope get dusted you could probably just watch all three ant-man movies and completely forget about the other stuff happening so yeah anyway um it, it's a thing that that works yeah it's that time of the episode again where we cover our feedback, and this time we are talking about feedback for episode 186, MCU 2023 Part 1 with John Wilson, where John and I talked about Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Secret Invasion, and Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. The post about that episode got likes and shares on Facebook from Joe Sedano, Chris Armstrong, and Ruth Sutherland. On Twitter, or X, it got likes and retweets from... Are they still called retweets? I don't know. Anyway, Alan Sharp, Ghost Spider Groupies, a Spider-Gwen podcast, Viet Win, Capes and Lunatics Podcast Network, Into the Weird, Doc Strange, JohnReadsComics.com, Kaiser Sozi, Jeannie Browning, Mac the Comics Monster, and Chris Lydon. And on Blue Sky, we got them some Salva Rivas. So thank you all. Now, if you have comments you want to make, you want to talk about your thoughts of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 about Adam Warlock's appearance in there, whether or not the High Evolution should have lived, the new team, Phyla, anything, send us a message, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com, or you can like and share the posts on the different social media sites. On Facebook, just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos in the search box and we'll pop up. On Twitter or X, we are at AdamThanosPod. And on Blue Sky, we are at AdamThanosPod.bsky.social. This show is part of The Collective. The Collective was started by a few like-minded podcasters who wanted to network in the most traditional sense. It has become a repository for ideas, crossovers, and potential guest appearances, and you are going to hear a promo for one of the other Collective shows right now. I am Connor from the House of L. And I am Ray from the House of Zod. We are two of the many, many survivors of Krypton's destruction, and we have made our home in Australia, and dare I say have become Australians, for better or worse. 
But we have also decided to read Superman comics, uh, read Superman books, watch Superman shows, cartoons, movies, basically everything Superman, and from an Australian perspective as well. Whether you're a seasoned fan, like me, or whether you are coming in fresh, wide-eyed, and wanting to learn more like me, then this podcast is for you. Join us for our bi-weekly adventures available on all good podcast catches. So just search for Last Sons of Krypton, a Superman podcast. We'll be coming to you from Australia or some cosmic dimension, wherever we are that week. Up, 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 up and, and away. away. All right, I'm not sure if there's anything else to talk about for this, unless there's anything else you're burning to think about. I'm sure I'll think of something in 20 minutes once we get off the call, but <laughs> that's how these <laughs> no, things always... this was No, um, this was a satisfying conclusion. It was a mostly satisfying Adam Warlock experience. Um, there's there's room for more. I would like to see more. Will we get to see more? We have no idea. As I've said on previous installments of this, of this retrospective series, it seems to be an increasing difficulty to make these films in a way that people are wanting to see them. The The momentum of the universe seems to be winding down uh, unless they can get something to put some more energy into it. Um, we're getting diminishing returns on this. Yeah. So will we see any more of these things followed up on in movies? I have no idea because I don't even know how much we're going to be seeing these movies. And that's not a naysay that I wanted to end. I would love for it to continue. I just, whatever is causing this to sort of turn into a doldrums kind of thing, I want them to find a way to fix. Because I'm enjoying the stories, but getting people to see the stories and and getting that feeling of forward momentum in the stories is what I want. Yeah, and it might be just a matter of, I was thinking about as I was editing our last episode, and it just kind of, like I said, like I said before, it reminded me of like the Bronze Age where Marvel now was no longer restricted to eight books and they were publishing everything. But even there, like like that happened there, they went to like publishing you know, 20, you know, of every type of thing. And then they kind of dwindled down, not dwindled down, but then like a lot of that stuff got canceled and they kind of had to focus on just the ones that were actually working. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering if that's what's happening now. We're we're we've now exploded a bit, and maybe now it's time to pare back that explosion of like, okay, we threw everything against the wall now. Now what you know? is actually sticking? Yeah, let's just focus on the stuff that sticks now, and not the stuff that's not sticking. Right. Also, maybe you need to clean your walls because having sticky stuff on your walls is not not great. Well, it depends on what you're stick. What you're using? What kind of sticky stuff? Are we talking silly putty, or are you throwing pasta against the wall? I mean, the pasta comes off pretty easily on its own. But, like, yeah. if I walked into someone's house and they had sticky stuff on their walls, I would think it was kind of weird. Oh, wash them, too, yeah. But first, figure out what it is that's sticking. Get rid, of, take your, get rid of the stuff on the floor first. Right. And then figure out what's sticking. So, potentially, this if they are doing something like that, this might still, they might do this stuff. Because the Guardian stuff is the stuff that was sticking. Mm-hmm. I mean, Guardians did well. Guardians 3 did well, from what I remember. Yeah, of, of all the things that have come out recently that people have complained about or whatever, Guardians shone. Guardians shone brightly. It was yeah. well, very well received, uh, both box office and critically. And um, no one was surprised by that, so it didn't really get a lot of headlines. It just it just quietly did well over there. Exactly. But since it did, it is one of the ones that did well. 
there is a potential if they're going to continue stuff, this is something they would continue because, mm-hmm. like I said, if this is this is sticking, so go with what's sticking. All right. Well, I guess we're done with the Guardians. Too bad because I liked it. <laughs> I yes. And um, we have a, a sort of a winding down for the rest of 2023 because this was the last big hurrah. And we yes. have some smaller hurrahs. Yes, but we still have some stuff to talk about for the next episode. We have one more episode right. of this, which we'll be talking about season two of Loki, the Marvels, and what if season two? What if we talked about season two of what if? I think we'll find out next episode. Yes. But before we get to that, John, what else is going on? I do podcasting, so um, I have podcasts out there. Uh, no, I um, I'm out online. You can follow me on Twitter at John Reads Comics. Um, I do have some things cooking. As we are moving into the new year, a project I've been working on for a while is about to start release. Uh, if you like science fiction and you either saw it or have been wanting to see it, Babylon Five Thirty Years Later is a retrospective on Babylon Five. Uh, Blaine Dowler, who has seen the show all the way through a couple of times, and myself, who has never seen the show before, uh, we are going through the episode by episode journey. So look for that coming at the end of uh, I want to say end of January. So that's coming out. Also over on the John Reads Comics uh, podcast feed. Um, as we finish up here, I'm about to record the first episode of a new project called Say the Magic Word, a Shazam Captain Marvel podcast. So um, if I am able to get that going and, and uh, having a good time with that, there'll be more episodes of that. But there will be at least one when you go look and maybe more than one. So look for that. Um, you're going to be looking at the old Golden Age uh, whiz comics and Captain Marvel adventures and all sorts of stuff. So Shazam, go look at, go, go listen to that. Yay! So there'll be links oh. for those things in the show notes. And of course, I'm sorry, my 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 ongoing project that's been going for a while now. Uh, if you like old '80s cartoons and the comics of them, uh, Ninjas and Bots, where Lane and I are looking at the uh, IDW comic series of the Transformers and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Ah, yes, and there'll be links for that too. Oh, and real quick before we finish, I just happen to be skimming through on here on IMDb. A couple quick trivia things about the movie, because I didn't realize. Mm-hmm. So if you remember in the, early in the movie, Drax is not sharing his... No, sorry, it's not early in the movie. It's when they're going to break into Oglecore, and uh, they're on the ship, and like Peter's setting up the... Uh, trying to go through the shields. And he shares... Z- Drax shares his uh, Zark nuts with, with Peter, but not Mantis. Yeah, that was the whole thing in the uh, holiday special. Yes, I forgot he, about he, that part. He blamed Mantis for finishing off the Zargnuts. Yes, and so then in this one, he won't share with her the Zargnuts, which uh, obviously she likes because she ate them all. But also uh, Nebula's new arm, which, as she said, was made by Rocket. Remember, she has like that new arm that can change into like, you know, multi-form yeah, the, the, arm. The mor- morphing arm, yeah. Yeah, that was it's, And as in the movie, she does say Rocket made it. James Gunn confirmed Rocket made the arm from Nebula to thank her for gifting him Bucky's detached vibranium arm in the Guardians holiday special. Aww. <laughs> and yeah, that finally, was a perfect gift for him. Yeah, and finally, one thing I found fun. Karen Gillan, who, in case people don't know, plays Nebula, 
accidentally scheduled a couple a couple's therapy session on the day she was shooting a scene for the movie and appeared for the session in full nebula makeup. Nice. That's fun. <laughs> Did you know whenever she was originally cast as Nebula, uh, she was in the process of filming another project? And so when they shaved her head, she had the studio people make a wig out of her hair so that she could continue to wear her own hair as she finished filming her other project. I did not know that. Yes. I forget what the other project was called. It was not Doctor Who. But, um, but yeah, she was she was working on something. And uh, yeah, she needed her hair. So she kept her own hair as a wig. Well, hey, if you're going to have a wig, might as well be your own hair. But hair makes sense. Right. I just find that very amusing. Yep. Good stuff. All right, everyone. Well, that's it for this time. If you have not seen it yet, go watch this movie. I recommend it. He is all right. <laughs> Ignore him. He's just mad I didn't give him any of my Zarg nuts. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not sharing Zarg nuts with you either. So, you know. Yeah, jerk. All right. All right. Thanks for having me on, Al, and I will see you next time. Yep. Bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan made production. And no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise. And the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.